Thanks for joining us. My name's Matt Bushby, Head of Infrastructure Business Development at Cleabridge Investments. Today, I'm with Portfolio Manager Nick Langley, talking about inflation. It's a hotly debated topic in markets, and the chat has been growing all year. Latest inflation numbers around mid-fives in the US, mid-threes across the Eurozone, and high-threes locally here in Australia. The figures have certainly jumped from what we've been used to for a number of years. Nick, what's the, the view of the team? Transitory, structural, a bit of both. Well, there's a lot in this, Matt. And, you know, let's break out kind of headline inflation numbers, which of course includes, you know, food and utilities and things like that versus say core or, or PCE inflation, which is, which really drives monetary policy. And, and the two are, you know, running at, at quite different levels. When it comes to transitory versus structural, you know, our view is there's a bit of both in this. Our view is we will have structurally higher inflation going forward. There will be some, and there are some transitory elements that are certainly coming through. But as to where we end up, there's just so many moving parts. It's very difficult to get a handle on it. For example, wage inflation, which we expect to begin to become a big deal in Q1 of, of 2022. And listen, the wage inflation will be driven more by that headline inflation because the headline inflation hits the households. And so that then starts to come through in, in wage claims and so on. Wage inflation does feed into both headline and core PCE. So, you know, that will be a really important driver of inflation, household budgets, and also monetary policy going forward. Commodity input costs. So, you know, this is a really interesting one. Um, the commodity costs come through in, in the headline, but not so much in the PCE. Accepting that commodities are inputs for lots and lots of different goods. And, you know, those feed through into, into both headline and core over time. So, you know, to the extent that our commodity prices continue to increase energy, as an example, that is going to be an issue um, going forward for inflation. And then finally, you know, another one we're keeping an eye on is rental costs and owners equivalent rentals. This is a bit of a sleeper. It's certainly increasing across most of the developed markets big time in the, in the US as the eviction moratoriums are coming off. It's quite a large part of inflation and we expect to see that continue to accelerate. When we look out in the market and we put all of that together, we've got central banks kind of of the view that this is transitory and, and it normalizes by the end of next year. We've got the market kind of pinned to that narrative as well. Our sense is it's going to be a bit stickier and a bit higher. And, you know, the market is right now in Q4 of 2021 starting to adjust their settings a little bit. And, you know, if the market just kind of grinds higher in terms of inflation expectations, then probably that's not going to be a big deal for markets, but it could well snap higher, in which case we would see quite a resetting of portfolios across markets. Let's turn to that point very quickly before we go on and talk infrastructure specifically. Why are investors so focused on inflation and the impact to their portfolios? Let's paint a picture. Right now, we think, okay, broadly transitory inflation, you know, our viewers, there's a little bit of structural in there. Growth is good. It'll continue to be, you know, relatively strong into 2022, probably weakens a bit through the course of, of 2022. That's a pretty benign environment. You know, assume companies will be able to pass through higher input costs and that'll drive a little bit of inflation, but not too much. Then that means that companies maintain their margins and so on into 2022. They get that earnings growth and it's kind of happy days in markets, right? And that's pretty much the base narrative that's, that's around there. 
what if there's a different scenario? At the moment, we're seeing producer price inflation running a lot higher than consumer price inflation. And Sweden's just printed 15% PPI. China's just printed over 10% PPI, latest numbers, whilst you know the CPI is quite low. So all those input cost price pressures are coming through. That's going to have to get pushed through into consumer prices. If it doesn't, then company margins are going to de- decline and earnings are de- going to decline and prices are going to get crushed. Okay, might be another scenario where people realize that all that PPI coming into consumer uh, prices is going to drive inflation higher and we start to see bond yields rip. That will cause higher discount rates, therefore lower multiples, therefore equity markets get crushed. You know, that's a narrative that, that people are very edgy about at the moment, and that's why they're really caring about how this might flow through for their portfolio. A key argument for the inclusion of real assets in a portfolio, real estate, commodities, infrastructure, is that inflation protection element. Why are these assets different from general equities or fixed income? Mostly in real assets, we've got a kind of a pre-programming of the pass-through of inflation. Uh, If you think about it from an infrastructure perspective, most of the toll road companies have a concession contract that increases prices by inflation pretty much every quarter, if not every six months or year. In regulatory settings, they generally have a pass-through of inflation, either explicitly as in the UK, as in Australia, or more indirectly as in the US. And so actually, real assets like infrastructure, like real estate, are positively correlated to inflation. Inflation goes up, valuations go up. For general equities, there's an extra step. They have to be able to pass through those higher inflated input prices, the PPI, producer price index that we were talking about. They have to be able to pass that through into higher consumer prices in order to be able to maintain their margins, in order to be able to maintain their earnings. Turning to infrastructure specifically out of the real asset complex, is it different to other real assets like real estate? From a broad brush perspective, yes. In real estate, okay, it's, it's based on leases. Leases are generally inflation plus, and so there's a contractual kind of pass-through. However, the leases get reset to current market prices at the end of each, each lease and often at rollover points. And so you've got this natural kind of resetting of prices and of returns to real estate investors. Infrastructure you know, is made up of utilities on the one side, which are, which are regulated and infrastructure, which is largely concession-based on the other. On the infrastructure side, first of all, governed by concession contracts, generally inflation plus pricing, and so there's a direct pass-through of that, and no repricing of the assets through life in, in general. The utilities, each time they visit their regulator, the regulator takes into account you know, the current market environment in terms of bond yields, in terms of inflation and, and the like. And so there's an automatic pass-through of inflation for those utility companies built into their regulatory mechanisms. And that's very predictable over time. So Nick, you've just mentioned inflation and bond yields in sort of part of the same discussion. Clearly, there's some interaction there. Can you just break down the, the real versus nominal aspects for me and, and impacts on infrastructure? Yeah, really important element. So broadly, nominal bond yield is made up of a real component, call it real rates, and an inflation component or inflation expectations. So I mentioned before that infrastructure is positively correlated to inflation. So if inflation goes up, the valuation of infrastructure companies goes up. So if 
bond yields, for example, increase because inflation's increasing, then that's absolutely a net positive for infrastructure. Our view is that that will be the case and that real bond yields will remain somewhere around zero, say, plus or minus 50 basis points. And they're currently at about minus one in the, in the US. In that context, you know, we expect a, a real tailwind for infrastructure as bond yields come through. If real bond yields rise to, say, positive 2%, and they rise because there's a lot more economic activity, then infrastructure is going to do really well because it's positively correlated to activity in the economy, whereas, you know, utilities will probably drag a little bit. And I suspect if real yields go or real rates go to plus two, then any long duration assets that don't have a lot of growth associated with them are really going to struggle. So this concept of of real yields versus the nominal is very important to keep an eye on. And quickly summarise, our view is that real yields stay around about zero and any uptick in bond yields is more a result of inflation. And that'll be a real tailwind for infrastructure. A term I heard you use recently was climate-related inflation. Can you just explain to listeners what that actually is? And do investors need to think differently about that type of inflation versus more traditional supply-demand imbalance-driven inflation? Climate inflation is not being talked about a lot. Let's be clear. So keep your ear to the ground for it. It really refers to the cost impost of the energy transition and the push to decarbonise our economies and mitigate our infrastructure against changes in, in climate. To put a really simple example out there, the sewer system in New York City was designed to handle one inch of rain per hour at a maximum. When Ida came through earlier this year, they got more than three inches of rain inside of an hour and the whole place flooded. It is going to cost a hundred billion US dollars to reconfigure the New York sewer system. And, you know, really, you can't tell me that that's productive expenditure. That has to be paid for somehow. It's going to come through in utility bills, right? And, and that's going to have an inflationary impact pushing up um, utility prices. You know, another very different example, the EU and their Fit for 55 policy has announced a carbon border adjustment mechanism. And uh, what that will do is that will force companies that are selling goods inside of the European Union to start paying for the carbon that's embedded in those goods from 2026. And in the first year, they'll pay you know 10% of the value of the carbon, the next year, 20%, and so on. Over a 10-year period, you know that's going to result in steadily higher prices being passed through to consumers to take account of the carbon in the underlying goods. And again, you know that's not productive expenditure, but that is going to come through in inflation. And so, you know, we will see, again, a layer, structurally higher layer of inflation coming through from climate change. Just to be clear, you expect that this layer can be passed through to the users of those infrastructure assets through the regulatory you know, regime. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, so it will ultimately end up being borne by households. But maybe in terms of carbon pricing on production, investment needed in buildings to make them more energy efficient, that's a bit more of a question mark on the direct pass-through in their pricing ability. Yeah, certainly on the on the real estate side, there is a phenomenal amount of capital expenditure required to retrofit buildings to make them more thermal efficient. 
particularly on the on the heating side. And I fear that companies undertaking that expenditure will struggle to recuperate that cost in their leases and their and their rentals going forward, particularly over the next few years as there's potentially some turmoil in the in the office space market coming out of the pandemic and you know whether we need the amount of floor space that we currently have for um, for various businesses. Let's turn to our strategies, the global infrastructure income strategy, the global infrastructure value strategy. You mentioned before the different regimes around the world, you know, some are direct pass-throughs, some are indirect pass-throughs of inflation. Now, you know, combined, both portfolios have between, you know, 90 to 95% direct or indirect pass-through, but it does differ, as you alluded to before, between sectors, between regions. Can you just elaborate a little bit further on that and maybe in your role as a PM, how do you consider those differences in how you're putting the portfolio together? The broad breakdown is infrastructure generally has a direct pass-through based on their concession contracts. Toll roads, for example, you know, a lot of those have, have quarterly toll increases and those are increasing by inflation or a floor rate. Airports touch different. They have some often some light-handed regulation which covers the aeronautical side of it and they get their inflation pass-through there uh, and then they have the commercial arrangements, the rental and the share of revenues of retail and so on. Then on the utility side, the company's generally have either a direct pass-through, so they get to increase their prices by inflation each year. And companies in the in the UK also have their asset base increased by inflation each year. Or they have more of a US model, which is a return on equity target. It's a nominal number. And so when inflation goes up, the next time they visit their regulator, their allowed returns are increased. And so inflation gets passed through that way. We call that an indirect pass-through. It is lagged, you know, generally by a year or two, whereas for the rest of infrastructure, you know, there's pretty much direct pass-through of inflation on, a, on an annual basis. So when we're then putting a portfolio together, you know, we're looking at how inflation is moving in different parts of the world. And if we enter a very strong inflationary environment, then we will want to be tilting the portfolio towards those companies that have that direct pass-through of inflation. And if inflation begins to tail off and, and normalise, you know, then we'll be looking to shift towards some of those indirect beneficiaries of inflation increases because they'll continue to get price increases for a couple of years after inflation's kind of rolled over. So that's, I mean, a very good example of moving the portfolio around we are in the listed infrastructure market as opposed to the private infrastructure market. How critical do you think liquidity is for both inflation and dealing with you know the, the general market environment going forwards, the approach to tackling net zero, et cetera? I think as we move through this decade in particular, we are going to see the emergence of some key winners and key losers in kind of the climate change impact. And as a result, our view, and obviously we're only listed markets, but our view is you want to be liquid in your portfolio. You want to have the ability to change the positioning of your portfolio to move away from certain classes of assets. And even within subsectors like pipelines, as an example, we're fairly certain that the mainline transmission pipelines are going to continue to be used, either the pipes themselves or the easements that those pipes sit within, which themselves are very valuable. But, you know, the pipes might be retrofitted to either carry, you know, green hydrogen or even carry carbon that's been captured out of various industrial processes in factories and so on. 
Whereas a lot of the smaller pipelines, spurs heading off to smaller basins and so on, part of you know gathering systems, our view is that they'll probably be stranded assets over the coming decade, decade or two, and and that'll become clear through the course of this decade. So you know there'll be a time to get those out of your portfolio. It's you know it's probably now. Um, so you want to make sure you've got liquidity to be able to do that. Nick, thank you. Just to summarise, could you please leave listeners with a few key messages on you know why infrastructure is such an attractive inclusion in portfolios right now? I think inflation is going to be a key issue that we deal with. You know, not just this year and next year, but over the at least the next five years. And infrastructure is positively correlated to inflation. I think inflation, you know, surprises on the on the upside. And so at the very worst, we get to pass through increases and decreases in inflation. If it surprises to the upside, then infrastructure is going to do really well out of that. Our view is bond yields remain low on both nominal and, and real basis. And we think that'll be a tailwind for infrastructure as well. And all of this is within a backdrop of increasing growth profile. And, and the reason for that is that as we continue to invest in our assets to mitigate the effects of climate change and adapt our networks, that's increasing the asset base on which we're earning a return. And we have you know, regulation or concession contracts sitting there that are saying you will earn an appropriate return on every dollar of capital that you put into your underlying assets. And what's happening is as those capital plans are coming through, and you know, we're already seeing it now, every year the same companies are increasing their forward capex. Uh, and generally they're looking at these on a five-year basis. And that means you know, higher asset base growth, higher earnings, higher cash flows, and higher dividends. At the moment, you know, our view is it's an ideal risk-reward scenario for infrastructure investors. Nick Langley, thanks very much. Very insightful as always. Some very good reasons why listed infrastructure should form a part of your portfolio. For more information, please contact your Cleabridge representative.